Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm here for another episode of Mike on MedTech as part of the MedTech Matters uh, podcast channel. Uh, as always, joining me is Mike Drews, uh, regulatory guru for us uh, to speak on all things regulatory and medical device uh, related. So welcome again, Mike, to another episode. Thank you, Sean. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. So uh, today we're, we're kind of talking about a topic that uh, I'm sure resonates with quite a few people in terms of terms they hear regularly may not be intimately uh, uh, involved in their in their day to day, but certainly something that goes across the entire industry, and that's quality and regulatory, and two terms that are used sometimes interchangeably, sometimes mistakenly mistakenly so, and sometimes uh, uh, done done correctly. So, uh, why don't we start with that? What, what's you know what's the difference between quality and regulatory? Well, it is a great question to talk a little bit about, Sean, and regrettably, oftentimes. The terms quality and regulatory are used synonymously. Um, I really don't think that's uh, that's a good approach because the emphasis uh, is very different on the regulatory side versus quality. Uh, although there clearly is some overlap. So simply put, here is how I like to sort of mentally distinguish them. On the regulatory side, that's all about designing the correct device. In other words, defining the specifications so that if we make a device that fits those specs, it will solve whatever clinical problem that we're trying to solve. So are we solving the right problem? You know, one of my many favorite adages, Sean, is answers are only as good as the questions that we ask. Or in other words, problems are only, or sorry, solutions are only as good as the problems that we define. So what good is asking, I'm sorry, what good is getting the right answer if we're asking the wrong question? What good is designing the correct medical device if we're solving the wrong problem? So, and and put one other way, uh, coming from a medical background myself, I used to say this to my med students, the surgery went perfectly, but the patient died anyway. Well, the regulatory equivalent of that is we followed the regulation perfectly. That is, we did all that FDA asked us to do, and yet the patient died anyway. Or the engineering equivalent of that is we designed the medical device perfectly, and yet the patient died anyway. So all of this is under what I call the the quality side of the equation. The other side of the – I'm sorry, the regulatory side of the equation. (laughs) The other side of the equation is the quality side of the equation. and that is um, on, on manufacturing. So quality is about manufacturing a consistent device. In other words, once the specs have been defined by regulatory, then quality makes sure that all of the devices coming off of our assembly line meet those specs. And oftentimes when I talk about quality, Sean, I like to think about McDonald's. McDonald's is one of the most successful restaurants in the world. Is it because they make a good quality hamburger? Well, not necessarily in a regulatory sense, but in a quality sense, they absolutely do because quality is about consistency. And one of the things that's amazing about McDonald's is you can go into a McDonald's anywhere in the world, and if you order a a Big Mac, you'll know exactly what you're going to get. You might like it, you might not like it, but you know exactly what you're going to get. And one thing to remember, Sean, is that making a consistent product, 
that is a, a, a product of high quality is not necessarily the same as making a safe and effective product or a good product. Regrettably, there are many medical devices in our industry that are high quality, that is that they're consistent, but they just don't work and sometimes they're not even safe. So bottom line, although the two terms, regulatory and quality, uh, are often used synonymously, there is uh, an important distinction between them. So if that's the case, should we, in order to clarify that distinction, should these two be separated within, you know, within a company? Well, you know, that's another really great question. My short answer is no, uh, we should not separate them. It's only in mid to large size companies that you typically get a separation, uh, a, a regulatory group or a regulatory department versus a quality group or department. But in a lot of the small and, co- and startup companies, regulatory and quality is one and the same. The same person or people that are doing the regulatory are doing the quality as well. So at best, I like to consider them as opposite sides of the same coin. But even in a large organization, I don't think, this is just my opinion, I don't think we should separate quality and regulatory. That's when problems can occur. So in other words, those companies that do have them, you know, perhaps have them separated as two separate, completely independent units, uh, they may encounter more challenges, more, they may have fewer problems if they were able to better integrate those two into one functional, uh, at least one functional unit, maybe two divisions of a, of a single unit. I think you're right, Sean. I think the, the short answer is we probably would have fewer problems if we didn't separate quality and regulatory. But since it's become sort of the industry standard and to a certain extent, the regulation actually advocates a separation between quality and regulatory. Whether that is, 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 is the best thing to do or not, that's a different sto- story. But since the regulation does seem to, uh, uh, to, to, to um, suggest that, then at the very least, I think we need to have much better communication between the two. You know, I remember many years ago, some 25 years ago, when I started out in this business as an R&D engineer, Sean, uh, there was this concept of throwing things over the wall from R&D to manufacturing. And sometimes that same uh, uh, concept uh, applies today, throwing things over the wall from regulatory to quality. Uh, that's really not a good practice. We really need more communication between the two. So are you able to provide an example of that where, where it would be you know, integrated together? Yeah, so let's take uh, uh, some regulation from the quality side uh, of the equation, and let's talk for just a moment about design inputs. You and your audience are certainly familiar with the phrase design input. Let me just remind everybody what the what the uh, definition of the of a design input is this is taken right from the code of federal regulation so ne- no editorializing uh, each manufacturer shall establish and maintain procedures to ensure that design requirements relating to a device are appropriate and address the intended use of the device including the needs of the user and the patient well the question is why is that a quality requirement You know, to me, that's really more of a regulatory requirement if we want to draw lines in the sand. You know, this whole relationship of um, translating from user needs to design inputs, ultimately to design outputs, 
This is classic quality thinking, quality regulation. But to me, this is just basic regulatory. Uh, and by the way, there's an underlining assumption of the, uh, the definition of a design input uh, meeting the, the, the needs of the intended user, for example, uh, that the underlying assumption is uh, that you assume that the user, the physician or surgeon or whoever, uh, really knows what they need. And that sometimes is the case, but sometimes it's not. You know, they might think they know what they need, but they don't always know really what they, what they need. So another uh, another perhaps another example for this that you could you could uh, uh, plug in these two terms in how they fit and how they go would be verification and validation testing. How does how does quality uh, versus regulatory fit into that? So once again, it's a great example, Sean, because verification and validation, often referred to as V and V testing, is usually referred to more on the quality side of the equation. Uh, do we manufacture a consistent device? As I said earlier, do we manufacture the device within the specs? But on the regulatory side, I do regulatory VNV all the time. And the way I think of regulatory VNV is, did we design the correct device? In other words, are the specs correct? Once again, did we solve the right problem? You know, I'll share with you a, a short story. Uh, I was having dinner in California a few months ago with one of my very good friends. He and I were uh, 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 friends in graduate school many years ago. He is now the senior VP of quality for a Fortune 500 medical device company. I won't mention which one, but we got into sort of a philosophical discussion of what is quality, and basically he said, his job in quality is to make sure that his company design, I'm sorry, uh, manufactures their devices to meet the specs. And I said, okay, fair enough. Whose job is it to make sure that the specs are correct? And he said, well, that's not my job. <laughs> his job is to make sure that the, that the device fits the specs. It's somebody else's job, uh, i.e. regulatory, to make sure that, we're, that, that the specs are correct themselves. So, so basically, uh, an example of uh, of throwing things over the wall uh, uh, from that from that person. That's that's right. That's right. And uh, uh, you know, as as long as we do, as long as we fulfill both sides of that equation, quite frankly, I don't care if we call this quality or regulatory. I mean, after all, Shakespeare said a rose by another name still smells as sweet. As long as we're looking at both sides, as long as we have somebody asking the question. Are, we, uh, are our specs correct? And somebody asking the question, are we manufacturing uh, our devices within the specs? Both of those things are, are equally important. So, what, so in terms of, I mean, we, you, you, know, you kind of already alluded to the fact that you think quality and regulatory should not be separated, should not be considered two independent units. You know, what's, what's your recommendation for, for listeners, for device manufacturers who, who may be uh, addressing this issue or looking at it as do they establish one unit or two different, you know, units that work together? What, what's, your, what's your recommendation? Well, again, whether we do it as a single group or, or separate groups, as long as at the end of the day the job gets done and we look at both sides of the equation, both sides of the, the teeter-totter, that's perfectly fine. And, you know, uh, getting a little bit more specifically, I do uh, a fair amount of my time on the uh, QMS side, and I get invited from time to time to, invite, uh, to, to come into companies and evaluate their 
quality management systems and so on. Um, basically, the, the QMS should be, uh, sh should be designed specifically for that company. Uh, based on the kinds of devices that they're making, based on the kinds of technologies and so on. QMS systems, quality systems, should not be cookie cutter. You know, it's up to us to, defer, to define terms uh, like, for example, user needs or design inputs or design outputs. Um, all quality systems should be unique. If it's, a if it's a cookie cutter kind of an approach, then that really defeats the whole purpose of having a quality system because the quality system of a disposable company is probably going to be very different than the quality system of an implant company. This quality system of a company that makes uh, wearables or software or something like that, maybe a mobile medical app, is probably going to be very different than the quality of system of a, of a company that makes uh, hip implants or artificial hearts. Remember, the, the medical device universe is a very broad universe, and the, the general principles, obviously, of quality and regulatory are uh, applicable across the board, but the details are going uh, to vary from, from you know, one situation to another. So uh, with the understanding that you, know, we, you are going to have different situations, warrant different uh, solutions and, and uh, you know, uh, for each uh, occasion. Can you provide a real-world device example, something that, you know, uh, you know, actually exists? Absolutely. I could provide lots and lots of examples, Sean, <laughs> but just one in particular that comes to mind. Let's take a common device that most people are at least generally familiar with, and that is a bare metal coronary stent. I'm not even talking about the fancier, you know, drug-eluting stents that we have today, but just a simple bare metal coronary stent. Uh, these have been around now for about 20 years. Uh, when I started out in this business, I used to be a, a stent designer myself. Long story short, uh, we put more than a half a million of these things into patients every year worldwide in order to relieve chest pain. That's one of the indications. It costs anywhere from ten dollars to $40,000 to do this. Um, but the question is, is that really what we want to do? Uh, just recently, a couple of months ago, and we can uh, pr uh, provide this, this source uh, as, as part of the podcast, there was a clinical trial of about 200 patients, and I don't have time to get into the details, but the conclusion, uh, and I quote, a procedure used to relieve chest pain in hundreds of thousands of patients a year is useless for many of them. And again, let me just wow. reiterate the, the last part of it. We're doing this a half a million times a year, you know, for 10 to 40,000 per person is useless for many of these patients. So the question is, is this a regulatory issue? Is this a quality issue? Or for that matter, does it even really matter? Um, you know, from a quality perspective, all of these stents are being manufactured according to the spec, but maybe the spec is not correct. Maybe the problem that we're trying to solve is not the right one. You know, engineers, they love to think in terms of root cause, but maybe the part of the root cause is we have too many people that are focusing on just simply following the regulation. Uh, but not really trying to stop and ask the question, you know, what is the intent of the regulation? Remember I shared earlier, Sean, the surgery went perfectly, but the patient died anyway, you know, uh, and, uh, you know or, or another way to put it, are we asking the right questions 
are we solving the right problems? That's just so, one example. There are a number of other examples of, and, and, and by the way, with regard to stents, that's not the only uh, clinical trial that's had that kind of results. Um, even though stents have been around now for 20 years, bare metal stents, they're still fairly controversial in terms of really are they, uh, do, they, do they do what we want them to do. Right, right. Yeah, no, and, and I, think, uh, I think what, uh, you know, if, if people aren't already asking that question now, um, you know, I think, you know, you could see perhaps a, a uh, you know, more companies asking this question, especially those in the development stage. You know, it may not be the, you know, with your STEM example, Boston Scientific may not want to ask that question, uh, you know, about this regulatory challenge, but they may want, but a, a, a future competitor uh, may certainly be willing to share that information or share the information that's uh, uh, gained from these uh, types of clinical trials and as they provide a perhaps an alternative technology that looks nothing like the stents of today or is just a completely different technology altogether. Well, you know um, what, Sean, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I don't want to single out any specific companies, but I've been extremely fortunate to be invited to, uh, to do presentations at many of the stent companies as well as many of the large cardiology conferences. And one of the questions that I like to ask, and I mean this with all sincerity, is I really hope that I live to see the day uh, to, so that people look back at what we're doing in 2018 and ask the question, you put this little coil of metal inside somebody's heart to do what? We're doing it you know, hundreds of thousands of times a year. But the question is, is that really what we want to do? And for the purposes of our discussion, who's supposed to be asking that question? Is it a quality? Uh, is it regulatory? Is it you know, either? Is it somebody else? Something to think about. So, so, and it certainly is. And and before we wrap things up of for this episode, um, can you just quickly share some challenges, uh, you know, for this uh, for the future, uh, you know, asking these questions or or you know, with the regulatory versus quality, uh, you know, situation, kind of, you know, what do what do medical device manufacturers perhaps want to look at to address coming up? Well, that's a great question, Sean. And, you know, when you look at regulation overall, whether it's on the regulatory side or the quality side, it really doesn't matter. The regulation, the thinking uh, around that regulation has all developed following what I call the blockbuster model. In other words, if you're making, you know, a, a medical device that you're going to be putting into hundreds of thousands or millions of people, then the kinds of traditional approaches that people are used to probably make sense. But when you look at the future, the future is not the blockbuster model. The, first, the future is personalized medicine, either pharmacogenomics on the drug side of the world or things like 3D printing on the medical device side of the world. We've talked about this in previous podcast discussions, Sean. Right. When you're making one device for one patient, when your intended patient population is only one person, you know, when it comes to regulatory V&V, how do you do verification and validation on a one-off kind of a product? When it comes to quality V&V, how do you do uh, quality verification and, and validation when you're only making one device, right? So there are solutions to all of these questions, and you know I have talked about them in some of our previous discussions. But the simple, the, 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 the simple reality is, we don't need new regulation 
in my opinion. We've already got thousands and thousands of pages of that. The, we need new thinking on how to apply the regulation that we already have, especially in areas like personalized medicine, which more people are coming to the realization that that is, in fact, the future. And that certainly brings in a whole host of other challenges in terms of personalized medicine, uh, you know, and, and your patient population of one. I know, like you said, we've, we've mentioned it before, you know, getting into the realm of clinical trials. What's a clinical trial for a patient uh, a case of, of one? Uh, so definitely a lot more uh, topics spawn out of that. Uh, but unfortunately, we don't have time for those today. We will uh, certainly perhaps look at those at a different time. Or if you have specific questions on, uh, you know, personalized medicine, quality versus regulatory, please send them to us at the email posted below uh, or go through the MPO uh, MAG website, mpomag.com website, and reach out with your questions or future uh, topic ideas. For Mike Drews, I'd like to say thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Mike on MedTech.